Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, hello. Welcome back to Falling Forward with Dan Sack. That's me. Had to think about that. Episode 35. Is it? I think it is. Another game developer. Two in a row, guys. Two in a row. Edmund McMillan. Last time. Now this time. John McKellen. See, similar names. I'm just going through the alphabet. Clearly. Backwards. That makes no sense. But, hey. You all skip the intro anyway. But yeah, we had a lovely chat. Um, Talked about observation. Talked about stories untold. Talked a little bit about working at Rockstar and uh, working on Alien Isolation and not that that was Rockstar don't get confused guys try to keep up try to keep up but we'll get on with that chat in a minute there's been a bit of a gap between episodes and um, I don't think I need to explain to you why like I think you can all see what's going on outside your windows and such I'm pretty sure I I'm pretty sure some of you have got the internet and stuff and you can see what's going on in the world. But we're back now. Fingers crossed we'll be back on a regular schedule. Although no promises, because you're not the boss of me. Except patrons. You are the boss of me. I did a funny face there. And uh, yeah, you can't see me. Just imagine though. Imagine how good that funny face was. Anyway, I won't garble. Music's on danlasack.bandcamp.com. If you want to support, obviously, patreon.com forward slash danlasack. All that usual garbage. Rate, comment, and subscribe, etc. Um, I, I don't like to beg, but, like, tweets. Do some tweets when you hear this. Oh, that was really good, Dan. Wasn't that good? That sort of thing. Maybe share it with a friend. Oh, you played Observation. You should listen to this. You know, that usual thing, do that. Follow John on Twitter uh, and all the no-code accounts. Just various forms of no-code and underscores. John underscore no-code. But anyway, hope you enjoyed the chat. It's been so long since I recorded one of these intros, I I can't actually remember all the things I usually say. Let's just assume I've said them. And we'll move on, shall we? Me? John McKellen from No Code, game developer. Did I mention that? Who knows? Um, having a chat on the Discord over the telephone, basically, for your older ones. Like a telephone, but, you know, through a computer. Actually, it being over the telephone is something important to note, is I forgot to ask John to record at his end. 
uh, or even just turn the gate off, the noise gate off on Discord. So in the second half of this uh, chat, I've had to edit a bit more than I normally do. Just because Discord decided it wanted to cut off the end of every single sentence, John said. Hopefully, that's not a problem for you. Uh, it is entirely my fault. And uh, it won't happen again. It was, it was 100% my boo-boo. But it shouldn't ruin your enjoyment. I'm a very good editor. Very good. You shouldn't even know. I don't even know why I'm telling you. Anyway, enjoy. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hello. Hello. Can you hear me? Hello. I can, yes. Can you hear me okay, yeah? Yes, yeah. Because um, I can't hear this mic that oh, okay. goes into the... It's all very... There's a lot of cables around me. <laughs> <laughs> so how are you, anyway? I'm good, yeah. Um, lockdown is lockdown, but we're still able to work and still able to uh, keep going. So, yeah, not too bad. Nice. Uh, how are you doing? How are you coping? Uh, yeah, fine. Fine. I've uh, just... Yeah. <laughs> So that's basically it. <laughs> yeah, everyone's just kind of like, well, yep, yeah, things are, things are happening. Yeah, <laughs> it's very much. Uh, yeah, I think I went outside today. I, th- I think yeah. I've been out. I've got to that point where I've stopped putting shoes on when I go out. I'm just walking to the shops in flippers, uh, yeah. slippers <laughs> even, not flippers. Not flippers. Yeah, that's I'm not scuba yeah. diving. Um, I've already hit record. If that's okay. Yeah, that's fine, yeah. So who are you? Let's, let's just go into the podcast. Okay. We'll get yeah, to know I? each other well, by talking yeah. to each other. Um, God, who am I? Um, still trying to work that one out. Um, I'm the I'm a creative director and writer at No Code. Uh, we're a... Which is a lie, because you, you have to use code. That's, that's deceit yeah. already. Oh, well, yes. Yeah, it's a little bit more... You know, some code is not quite as catchy. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, it was kind of weird because we we got our name from 
uh, a game jam that we done years ago. Mm. Um, me, me and uh, Omar, who I started the company with, you know, it's like five years ago now. Um, we done a game jam before that, and it was just me, him, and my brother, and none of us are coders. You know, I was game dev at this point, but you know, I was an artist on the art side of things, and we were using a lot of like visual scripting tools and and ways to make stuff without typing code. Mm. And the guy that was organising the game jam had said, "Well, who's your coder?" And we said, "Oh, we don't have any coder." And he said, oh, you can't make a game with no code. And then we won that game jam and then won a BAFTA for it. <laughs> so that became the name. <laughs> oh, so is that is that House of Abandoned? That's, that's how it came. Uh, no, no, that was way before that. Yeah, that's oh, okay. Before, way back, yeah. How many BAFTAs have you got? A couple. Um, this was a th- that, this one was a new ta- a new talent BAFTA. Ooh. Um, which was like for your first release sort of thing. Um, and so, yeah, we got that in like 2013, I think it was. 2014, maybe. Um but yeah, like we know the guy that organised the game jam, and he was—he's you know—he's a good friend, and he, he takes the joke well. But um, yeah, we kind of <laughs> named it after him, kind of mocking us for not being able to do anything, and then we done something <laughs> quite cool. So um, yes, yeah, so that's where it came from. But yeah, we very very quickly uh, realised that that you know we weren't going to be able to live that lie too long, mm. um, and we've got more coders than we have anything else now. So um, yeah, they they win. <laughs> Isn't isn't that an awesome thing about what's happening in gaming this last kind of decade that you can make a BAFTA award winning game without experience yeah. as such with Absolutely. there's tools there to you know what did you make that on? God, uh, that was um, that was an engine called Game Salad. Game like Salad really, sounds yeah, good. Was, yeah, well, <laughs> it's all right. It's got its moments, and and it you know it, it saws through that project. It was a very quite basic kind of two D, um, yeah, visually logic, visual logic system. Um, pretty easy to get going with it. So it wasn't you know the game we made wasn't particularly complex, but you know it looked polished and it played quite well. So, um, so you could still do cool stuff with it. And and to be fair, like even. Uh, House Abandoned and Stories Untold, we didn't have a full-time coder for those projects. That was mm. still just mostly me, uh, Omar, who'd done the audio side of things, and Graham, who helped on the design. Um, that that was kind of it. We're still like a really s- small team using very, very little actual code and using yeah visual scripting and kind of logic flow graphs and stuff like that to actually make the game. So, yeah, like the, the tools available are not just getting better. They're, they're getting more diverse and more accessible, and that's you know, that's what's really interesting about the last few years, for sure. Mm. Like, I suppose for for you guys, because obviously you've grown from the point of being two of you to like a full team now. Is it is it a response to your ever-expanding imagination or just pure necessity of wanting to do bigger and better things? Or both? Um, Could be both. It's a little bit, yeah, it's a little bit of both. Like, we, in, in the past... When, when it was just like the two or three of us, we were we were very we were quite good at working within our means. Like we're we're just leaning on our strengths and making games that used that well and didn't require much of the other stuff. Um, but you know, they you don't get to do them over and over again. You know, they're kind of like one shots where you kind of oh we've done this thing, we've used this aspect of our skill set. You can't just keep churning out the same game. So mm. there's an aspect of that where you go right. We're actually you know I was getting really. You know, more and more invested in the story side of things, and just was really like on stories and told. You never see a human character, even though it's a character-driven story. Mm. Um, you never see anyone, and that was kind of you know by design because we didn't have the budget, we didn't have the, the the talent to do that. So we 
designed a story that didn't require them to be in front of you, so that's why they're all through radio or they're in the next room talking over an intercom. Like we, we, you know, we kind of double down on that lack of experience and do something different with it. But mm. as we as we got into observation and onto the next thing, it was kind of like, well, I really want to be able to show someone's face. Like I really want to <laughs> be able to have two people have a conversation without just listening to it. Um, so it's a yeah, it's a bit of both. Like. The, the imagination side of things, like we are trying to do bigger and more interesting things, and we found ourselves lucky that you know people want to help us do that. You know, publishers want to fund us to do interesting games with bigger budgets, which is quite rare and quite hard to get. So we're just trying to make sure that we can do it to the best quality we can as well. So yeah, it's been a it's been a bit of both. Mm. Um, stories untold because the audience of this podcast aren't in all gamers. It's the one I can't actually uh describe to them because as soon as you when you start talking about it, it's uh well it's a text-based well it's not text it's visual it's visual you can see stuff <laughs> but it's text but it, it's that um if you say call of duty to someone they know what that is even if they've yeah. never played a game yet yeah. what the indies are doing are iterating on ideas that maybe we thought we'd put behind us 20 years ago yet they were great you know so house of abandon which is part of stories untold that came out of a game jam yeah so house yeah house abandon was a game jam that we did in three days i think it was um and then we put it online and it went viral like the first night there was like five downloads and then the second night there was twenty thousand, and we like what the hell just happened <laughs> um uh yeah so just were you happy with board. the five though the five was cool, yeah. We didn't oh, nice. think was gonna look at it. <laughs> yeah, you were quite surprised by that. Um Yeah, and that that was like the game jam had a theme of um ancient technology, I think it was, or archaic technology, I can't remember. Um and and we were kinda of sitting around thinking, like, what can we do with this? We really wanted to do something for this uh just do something different from what we'd done before and we were we had been pitching Observation, the game we launched last year, all the way through this. And that was kind of like it was on its way, um, but we were like waiting forever on contracts and stuff like that. So we we're like, we want to do something to kind of keep ourselves going and see what we can do that's interesting. And, and yeah, this archaic technology thing came up, and I was scratching my head, and we were thinking about all sorts of like historical things. And then I asked my uh, my son, who was 12, 13 at the time, I said, "What do you think about archaic technology?" And he said, "Those old games you play." And I said, "Oh, amazing." <laughs> <laughs> There's my hook. <laughs> and it just made me realise that, that archaic technology was, uh, or ancient technology is, is all relative, right? Um, mm. So they're, you know, so it just kind of like, oh, actually, we could take something here, but what do we do that's different with it? Um, you know, what can we do to break our expectations a little bit or have, you know, lure you into this? Uh, big, a big part of stories I'm told is luring you in with the nostalgia and then kind of ripping that apart a little bit in front of you mm. and making, making all those things that you remember fondly and love actually creepy and scary and, um, yeah, it's kind of mean that way. We can like take off the rose tinted glasses and show you the, the harsh side of things. So um, yeah, so it all just kind of like as soon as we hit that idea of you're playing a text adventure, but you're playing the text adventure in the game, mm. and what happens in the text adventure impacts what happens in the game around that game. And we're just like not sure what we've got here, but it sounds cool, so let's do it. <laughs> and then <laughs> we just ran with it. Um, yeah. How long did it take to if if the uh, if House of Bandit only took three days, how long did the whole thing take? It's like five, <laughs> six chapters, is it? Uh, four chapters, yeah. Four chapters. Um, 
Yeah, that's 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 a that's a, a short funny story. Um, we we were talking to Devolver at the time about Observation, uh, Devolver Digital, who ended up being the publisher of Stories Untold, um, and we were talking to them. And I said, "Look, we've got this thing. It's went viral. Do you think it'd be? Do you think you guys would be interested if we'd done some more short stories and we made an anthology of of tales of like creepy, you know, one-off games? I think." And they were just like, they were totally on board. And I'd said, well, I mean, this one took us three days and maybe a couple of days after that to fix some bugs. But it's largely done. We could do another three, four stories in like a month at that rate, you know? <laughs> and they were like, yeah, that sounds good. And then six months later, we were still struggling to try and get it finished. Um, <laughs> I sensed, I like, I I sensed I, that's where that was going then. Yeah, like I quote, I think I'd said like 27, I don't know why it's so specific, but like 27 days or something like that. And it was actually like 190 days or something. Um, <laughs> oh, it was worth uh, it. It was definitely it was, worth it. Yeah, it worked though. out. Like, it, it, the timing was just, like, it worked out perfectly. Like, all the way through our negotiations for observation, things just took a while because it was kind of, we were, we were doing a, a, a publishing deal with Devolver and with Sony. So just everything gets a bit more complicated when there's more people involved and the date kept getting pushed back. Mm. Um, but luckily, we kept pushing the stories on the told date back as well because we were... <laughs> grossly underestimating how much work needed to be done um so as the you know they would we'd get a phone call and they would say oh yeah we're not quite ready we're not going to hit that date for the contract it's going to be maybe the next month sorry about that we're like no it's fine we've got plenty to do (laughs) (laughs) so we just like we kept getting bought that extra time and then literally we shipped it at the end of february i think it was and it was like three days later we got observation signed and off we went straight on to the next project so it was like a really weird surreal ride that we were on it, that that story with with contracts and um, developers and publishers, I've heard that story versions of it by every yeah. game dev I've ever met. <laughs> yeah, like literally, it just seems like I can't. Im- I've I've negotiated music contracts before, but you know, they I don't I can't fully understand why games contracts are so much more complex, but they yeah, seem I- to be ridiculous. It's it's weird. Like like our our relationship with Devolver has just been so smooth and perfect. Like, you know, it always is, always sounds like I'm kind of sucking up to them when I say that, but genuinely, like the easiest people I've ever worked with. Um, and their contracts are nice and straightforward, and everything's easy. It was really just because other as soon as another factor comes in, like another publisher or a platform, everything just gets a little bit more. Okay, well, we need to do this agreement with you but we need to run that by the other partners as well make sure they're and it's just the time it's just the machine mm. churning away you know and i think for something like for someone like sony or microsoft or these big guys like i think you know sometimes your project just goes into their machine and into their framework and it just takes a long time to work its way through yeah um, yeah to get to the end and it was just we were kind <clears> of <throat> kind of stuck on that a little bit but i mean to be fair because we we're we were doing stories untold and and devolver had agreed to publish that in the meantime, it took the pressure off as well. It wasn't like we were on the phone every day trying to wait, for, trying to get things to move. It was just kind of like, well, yeah, I suppose you're not like project. you're not being constantly pushed further and further away from some form of payday. In exactly, a sense. yeah. You know, and and the work. thing for us, yeah, the thing for us especially was that because we because Devolver agreed to do stories until we weren't worried about our payday anymore. We were getting funded for that project. Mm. We, could, we were safe for the time being. So. If that hadn't happened and we didn't do House Abandoned Stories Untold, it would have been a very different story because of how long it took. I'm not even sure we would have been around by the time the contracts <laughs> got done. I mean, I'm sure we would have made it work but um, somehow, but it would have been a lot harder had we not 
uh, done all that. So, yeah, it was very strange, very kind of, um, yeah, by the time we actually finished Stories Untold and the project immediately started, it was very, like, as if it had been scripted out by someone. Oh, so you literally got it done and then you were straight into observation. It all fell into place. Literally days later, yeah. We were out in San Francisco for GDC to launch the game and we got off the plane to come home and it was the next day we got the contracts. And oh, the next nice. Day that, no rest. No rest whatsoever. The next day we moved to office, um, and or two days later, whatever, and then started trying to bring in more of the team now that we had our funding in place. So it was very, yeah, like between pitching observation, which was back in the start of 2016, until June last year, we didn't have like more than two days off. It was just insane. That that sounds like fun. That that sounds like yeah. a fun fun way to be. <laughs> Yes, it's got its moments. You know. And you've you've got three kids as well, haven't you? I do. Yeah. I Is it three? Well. Yeah, yeah, three. Yeah. So yeah, busy, busy, busy. Yes. <laughs> yep. Busy. Interesting, and, and yeah, trying to juggle all that. And my wife works with us as well. She's she works at No Code. She's a two D artist. Oh, okay. So, um. So we're both super busy at the end of projects and stuff like that as well. So yeah, I mean the the, the family is rather you know they gather around and they help. Um, I don't know how we would have done it without. Oh yeah, you've got families and stuff like that. Yeah, you've got three potential coders there. Yeah, well, that as well. Yeah, eventually, <laughs> you know, not yeah. long, right? Come on, not long. You I know. Yeah, this is it. Well, they're kind of doing that in their own accord. My my my, my eight year old, he's um, you know, he's really into Fortnite and all that kind of stuff. Um, but he's like coming to me and saying, "Dad, I've just found a bug in Fortnite. Like, can you fix it?" <laughs> it's like, well, that's not quite how it works, but um, let me have a look. <laughs> and I have a look and go, tap, tap. <laughs> and I get to explain. He's actually finding it quite interesting, which is really sweet. So, um, so yeah, maybe one day. Do you end up in that situation you're, uh, where you're explaining what that bug is? Yeah, like I've, I think, with, yeah, with him, I'm definitely a bit more, like I'll go into a little bit of detail because he's quite curious about that kind of stuff anyways. You know, he's into that kind of like something ha- like especially things like games that have physics and stuff like that. When mm. something goes wrong, he wants to. He's kind of like, why did it go nuts? And uh, and I'll kind of explain a little bit about it. And he kind of takes some of it in, which is nice. So he's definitely kind of tuned that way, which is great. But um, well, he he sounds like he already knows more than the the majority of um, YouTube commentators. So he's got that prob- as well. Yeah, like genuinely, like I think he's definitely got an aptitude for it. Where he's just, you know, he's 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 genuinely curious and kind of passionate about how things fit together. Like even as a kid, he was into like how tractors work and how, you know, mechanisms work and stuff like that. And now it's now because he's getting much more into gaming and and computers in general, he's getting really into that side of things. And Mm. it's fascinating to watch change. You know, it's fascinating to see, you know, something that I've been doing for 15 years. He's kind of like, it's not like I've been pushing it on him. He's just has this natural, He's gravitating towards it, and then asking me, and thankfully, I've actually got some answers for him, which is nice. And um, I, su- I suppose so, yeah. if, if he chose to go that way in adulthood, he's going that way at a point where he's got access to all the tools. There's, you know, yeah. he's not limited by the machine as such. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I mean, part of the like it took me a long time to get into games, uh, into the industry. That is um, mm. because there was no tools and there was no courses either. When mm. I was young, there was nothing. There was no real career path for someone up in Scotland to join the games industry. So, just what did unheard. you do before gaming? Before, oh, I, just, uh, I mean, I just pissed about a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I I studied graphic design eventually. 
Um, okay. That was the kind of closest thing I could get to what I enjoyed doing, which at the time was like, I really enjoyed making Flash stuff, like websites and Flash and things like that. Um, and that was kind of the closest course I could find. So I ended up studying graphic design and becoming a freelance graphic designer. I failed freelance graphic designer. Nice. Um, uh, for for quite a few years, and then and then I devoted most of my time for good, good, good three, four years um, to trying to make it as a in a band. Nice, um, I, I, with, I I like that path. That's with, a... with some with some some minor success, but um, uh, would, with, would with I... the same people. Yeah, with the same people that we started no code with, like with Omar and my brother. What um, was the, so do, do I know the band? Would I know? I the... probably, no, no, you wouldn't know them. Uh, we were called Futuro. Um, and we, we keep referencing their song names in our games and stuff like that because <laughs> we, we just can't let go. It's been a, it's been a decade, but we can't let go. Um, and yeah, we 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 were all, like we were quite good. Like I listened to stuff recently, and some of the songs were decent. And we played we played at Tea in the Park. Nice. We had we had some like we had some fans and stuff like that, but we were just the wrong type of people. Like we weren't, you know, hanging out with A and R guys and getting drunk and stuff like that. Like mm. my, my brother was a high school teacher. Uh, I eventually joined Omar and we were lecturing at the SAE college up in Glasgow. Yeah. Um, and I was teaching graphic design there and he was teaching audio. And so like we'd, we'd go out and someone would tell us, oh, like the, I don't know, like the domino in our, in our guys there, totally speak to him and he's come here to see you. And we'd be like, we'd introduce him ourselves and he'd be like, okay, so let's hang out. And I'd go, wow, can't we get yeah. some papers for tomorrow morning? So bye. And you know, it was just never going to happen. Yeah, um, I, I don't our, think our lives were just in different places. Me, me, and Pip never did a deal with anyone who actually like was all the A and I guys in the room. I did. We did have one where uh, there was a label called Six Seven Nine. Uh, they did the streets and stuff like oh, that. Oh right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they came, and I was like right at the end of this horrific breakup, so I was just drunk on stage. I was getting the audience to like chant other bands names and <laughs> stuff and it was like yeah. we were just just starting to to get not big we never got big but we we grew and yeah. um yeah it was just the most embarrassing drunken night of my life and they never returned our calls after that <laughs> but it was fine it was fine yeah. it was fine in, you know, honestly honestly it was it's fine a, <laughs> it's, a, it's a story to tell in later life you know yeah I'm, uh, I'm yeah. actually gone a little bit red just thinking about it now. <laughs> I don't yeah, really drink anymore, so it's it's even doubly doubly more yeah. embarrassing. Well, that's the thing is, like, I, I just yeah, I've never been you know a party guy or, or anything like that, and I think we kind of I don't know whether it was something to do with like where we were or the type of music, the fact that we were doing rock music, indie stuff around the time of Franz Ferdinand and all that kind of stuff, where that indie resurgence in the mid two thousands were. Mm. We were just kind of getting sucked into this idea that if you play enough gigs to nobody, someone will notice that you're touring a lot and, you know, offer you a deal or, or something, or that that was the only way to do it. Um, and so we were just kind of misguided. And, and like I say, I think we'd done some cool stuff, but um, yeah, just maybe not the right type of people in, in retrospect. Yeah, I, time, it was fun. Like we had a lot of fun, you know, a lot of good times. I definitely um, think with most creative industries, no matter. It sounds it sounds sort of a little bit defeatist, but I'm not trying to sound that way. Mm. Um, but no matter how much hard work you put in, 
it's often an outside influence that that is the reason you you break whether it be like yeah. a music video or a game jam or something and people taking that and sharing that is the bit Absolutely. you know yeah. you can you can play 50 gigs but if someone doesn't leave that room preaching the gospel of your band then it, it doesn't yeah. happen you know totally i totally agree and and i think the, the attitude that we had because we played a lot like a lot of gigs in I think it was like 2005, 2006 or something I mean it was like every second or third night for months on end we were just going everywhere we could across the UK and spending as you know all of our own money making no money back all like you know the usual pay to play mm. ticket style stuff where you're having to just essentially buy tickets for a slot how many how many su- gonna... how many support slots did you get to do at uh, King Tut's uh, we did have a few we had like four or something like that yeah. and some of them were good some of them weren't ticket deals but some of them were um so yeah we fell into the pay-to-play trap quite regularly but we we had this idea that you know like you say unless someone's going to sing your praises and leave that gig then it's kind of a bit of a wasted effort but if we do enough of them <laughs> then our chances are higher um that someone somewhere is going to see the right thing um and yeah, the- yeah just yeah, it just didn't, didn't pan out. Um, the, the problem with pay-to-play gigs, if listeners, you don't know what that is, usually it's you are put on the bill, but you have to buy X amount of tickets off the promoter and then sell them to your audience is, is yeah. one version of it. But the problem is if four of the bands on the bill are all pay-to-play, then the audience comes and watches their mate's band and then yep. sods off, you know, and no yeah, one exactly. benefits Except the promoter. The promoter does well out of it. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's it. They were just making their, their money, their profit, and you know, usually doing very little effort to actually encourage any other part of the audience to attend. Like, mm. that's when we got wise. It was when, I think, we, I can't remember where we played now, some, somewhere in Manchester, I think. And uh, we, got, we got sent tickets, and the ticket book that they sent us was like, I think they sent us like 100 tickets. And it's like, how are we going to sell 100 tickets in a city that we've never been to? You know, mm. that this back when like MySpace was just happening and stuff. You know, it was just impossible. Yeah. Um, so we just chalked up as like, well, I guess we've just spent you know a couple hundred quid on some tickets we won't ever use and play the gig anyway, and hope that the other bands would bring stuff. But it became really apparent that one of these cases they sent us a ticket book where the numbers of the tickets we'd gotten the last batch, and we'd gotten a hundred tickets out of three hundred. And we knew right away that the other two bands had the other 200 tickets. Yeah. Which the promoter has done absolutely nothing and literally can't even get anyone else to come outside of who the band says. It's like, there's absolutely no point of that. You know, we, we can see what the promoters are doing. And it's just like, yeah, we're just shafted cash here. So. Music industry is a very weird industry for the yeah. amount of uh, the people who aren't responsible for creating the product that is music who make mm. a lot of money off that you know yeah. it's very very upside down pyramid going on there yeah. so yeah the- it's quite quite disheartening and, and we we decided at one point we we're just going to try and do it ourselves and stop chasing the deal type thing mm. and we've done a lot of like our own eps and we print like a thousand copies of an ep and we've managed to sell them at gigs and stuff and we're like maybe we can just do our own album and do our own like invest the money to to get a PR or a plugger, you know, and, and do it do it the way they would do it, but just do it ourselves. And we 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 felt like we we're on the right path. And then we we'd gotten oh, I can't remember the name now. It was a, a big radio plugger down in London. We'd managed to get them to buy into us, and we were paying them obviously, but they were going to 
help promote the album and all this kind of stuff. And then they dropped us because another band came along and they were like, oh, we're going to shift you six months. Yeah. It was, it was uh, in fact, I remember it was the Ting Tings. Do you remember the Ting Tings? I do remember the Ting Tings. It was them. So they, they said to us, oh, we can't put you in that slot anymore because the Ting Tings have just gotten huge. So we're going to push you back six months. And we were like, but that pushes everything else out of whack. And so as soon as they'd done that, the plugger pulled out and the distributor, and we're just like, no, enough. Many, the, many. The Ting Tings. <laughs> <laughs> it was all their fault. <laughs> all their part. Many moons ago, I was in a queue for um, the US Embassy to get a work permit to play South by Southwest. And it was uh, that morning, it just happened to be every band that was vaguely popular in the UK at that time was in that queue. Right. And it was really odd because me and Pip were just being me and Pip just standing there chatting about our journeys and stuff. But other people in that queue had noticed other bands and it became like this weird performative queue of well i'm the biggest celebrity um <laughs> and i won't i won't say that she was acting up but the lead singer of the ting tings was uh noticed trying to get noticed yeah. <laughs> It was okay. it was such a weird morning that he like yeah god because we were still I don't think we ever got to the point where we didn't feel like we were like the new kids like oh look we oh they gave us cheese on the rider no way <laughs> and that was our entire career like Pip yeah. Pip likes rose and like a day where there was rose on the rider he would be wow I've made it I've made it guys yeah. but um. That's it. Yeah, we had a handful of gigs. Yeah, a handful of gigs where we were backstage. We supported um, the Rakes. Once. Yes, and um, and we got we got we you know we arrived and we got escorted through and we saw this big like buffet table, this big platter, and we we're like, oh, amazing! We're finally you know we're living the big life, guys. Yeah, and then we got pushed into the next room to the side where there was a packet of what's it and some water. What's it? Are the snack of king though? Yeah, we did we did raid their platter while they were on stage. So it was all good. Yeah, that's how you do it. Yeah, definitely, you do. definitely, very much so. <laughs> um, so you talked about um, being social, not being social. Um, with the games industry being on lockdown, um, that means the conferences aren't happening. How much mm. of do you think that's going to have an effect? On, not so much on the act of selling games because you still have that online presence to to push your games but those sort of deals that happen at gdc or at yeah. pax or whatever is that going to have an effect over the next few years um yeah like i don't know to be honest like we we um like we relied on on gdc we, we've been twice and both times we've went there not to attend talks but to meet people and try and sign a deal you know show, mm. show people stuff um and even now where um i was supposed to be talking at gdc there um back in march and also we were supposed to be meeting uh publishers that we were going to be working with um you know that we've already kind of agreed to work with but have never met in real life and we couldn't do that and so now we still haven't met even though we're signing documents and stuff like that and that's kind of weird um it's i think it does have an effect because in my my experience, like I say, I've not been to the talks much. I've not seen much of that side of GDC. Um, but it's, I think GDC is more about just getting everyone into the one place. 
to allow them to meet finally do deals you know show games and mm. talk to press and so on and so forth so i don't think like not having gdc this year or shows like it i don't think it will, it will stop it like it's not like stuff won't happen but i think it will delay everything i think it has delayed everything mm. um and made things you probably take a little bit longer because you're having to reschedule these <coughs> conversations you're having them in very different ways like i, I do feel like you know the, the publishers that we we're talking to just now we, we get on really well with them and they seem like really good guys we've just never met and you've always got this delay between you because you know they're in the states and we're over here and you know things just don't feel like waiting for that time where we get to go out for dinner and actually get each other um that aspect of things has definitely changed even if you've already got stuff mm. moving I but as far as like going to sell your game essentially like to go and, and try and find a publisher take a prototype over it's definitely going to have an impact because it's I, I don't know I, I find we've done a lot of trade shows where we'd have like our own game we're essentially self-publishing trying to get people interested in it this is like when we first started and there was a big part of it was just having people buy and see the game talk to them share business cards all that kind of stuff and um, the business to business side of things um to help you know generate those connections and being able to have your game on show with a big screen and some printed artwork and all this kind of stuff does wonders compared to sending an email yeah with a link you know and, yeah and a, a dropbox link to a demo or something like there's no, there's no real way for you to differentiate yourself the hundreds of people are sending stuff in um so i imagine like you know i'm not a publisher but i imagine developer finding it much more difficult because they've got this volume of stuff they can't easily sift through compared yeah. to being able to walk around the shore floor and seeing some cool stuff. Well, as a, as a like a punter going to a conference like PAX, particularly, you you can see the companies that are invested in yeah. in what they've made. You know, and, and obviously the big companies like Ark with their massive dinosaur and stuff. That's big mm. corporate thing. Look at us. But when you start walking around the more indie section you can really see the people who are who have faith in the game they've made yeah you can tell people's experience mm. in, in beyond developing games very very quickly you know, yeah like developing games is only half the battle if you want to sell games you want to actually you know have people buy them and fund you and allow you to make more there's more to it and you can tell that like instantly looking down at you know like the uh, left field collection in at egx where you see like Mm-hmm. 40 independent devs and usually just single people teams and stuff like that you can just spot from a mile away which ones like have a vision beyond just this prototype that they've made they have a similar thing at um insomnia and i distinctly remember this this guy who uh who was pitching what was he trying to sell oh like a rocky horror picture show uh oh, okay. rhythm game right. on on the ipad and it was like, I I almost felt like he had never played a video game before. It almost felt like he'd found some small team to make a thing for him that he was passionate oh, okay. about. But yeah. it was he was such a fish out of water because the Insomnia series are are quite a young event, really. Mm. So he's got just all these teenagers like looking at him like, what What's a Rocky Horror Picture Show? <laughs> <laughs> what what is this? I've never what heard the time warp. What's the time warp? <laughs> Are you is just skill? Yeah. Cool, yeah. He latched on to me as soon as he could. You're, you you know what this is. Yes. <laughs> you remember this, right? <laughs> it doesn't mean I like it, sir. Yeah. 
What do you? Why are you making me swipe this? Leave me alone, man. Um, observation uh, stories yes. untold. Um, observation particularly have they're both narrative games like you are trying to tell emotional stories yet very deliberately mechanically different from probably everything else out there um where does that come from the need to to it not be a character walking around a a human walking through a space type storytelling yeah um like it's it's not really so much about that it's not a character walking around. It's just that um, I like there's. I, th- I feel like there's some genres and some kind of tropes that we're used to, that just haven't been explored as much as they maybe think they have. Mm. Um, and I think like when we first start pitching observation, um, you know, I, I'm always a believer of like trying to boil it down to like one line and mm-hmm. you can get people to understand because our games are quite weird. Like in terms of how you play them. Like you said earlier about it's a text adventure, but you know they're quite. You know the harder it is to kind of pigeonhole, the harder it is to sell. So. Yeah, I like. I, I tried to explain stories untold recently to someone, and the it's a puzzle game, but the real puzzle is just working out what the game's asking you to do, yes. rather than the solving of the puzzle. And that's exactly it. Observation yeah. definitely yeah. has. Like yeah, I mean we've you've hit the nail on the head there in terms of like our design ethic is like it's it's puzzles that you're doing but the puzzle is not how to solve it it's trying to work mm. puzzle what it, what is it usually what we're actually giving people is a set of instructions and a set of controls and saying we're throwing you the ikea instruction mm. um because what we're but what we're doing with those puzzles we're, we're we're making sure that they are you know intrinsically linked to the narrative so that by solving them you kind of play the character mm. in some way so as as sam in, in playing as sam in observation you know, we have you, you know, for example, you need to get something off someone's laptop, so you have to jump into a camera and find a laptop, zoom in, hack in, read the email, use that data to solve a puzzle. But what we're actually doing there is making be a creepy AI, mm-hmm. zoom in and read your staff's emails yeah. so that the crew can react to that and go, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> um, so a lot of the puzzles and the gameplay is tied to that. But when we were originally pitching the game, the first kind of line in it was that, it's 2001 A Space Odyssey, but you play as Hal. That's it. <laughs> that's a, and that's every, and, exactly And everyone it. goes, all oh, right, okay, I get it. And and then everything kind of, flew, yeah, everything kind of flows from that. So when you start explaining the mechanic, they're just like, oh, yeah. Because it's something they've seen in a film or it's an aspect of something they've seen and read in a book. Or, I wonder how many games you could get out of that concept of just flipping perspective. Yeah, well, that that's where it all came from. Like, I read a, I read an article years ago when I was working on Alien. Uh, isolation yeah. about about the film, the original Alien film, the seventy nine film, about retelling that story from the aliens' perspective. You know how fucked up a story it is because uh, in that version of it, it's this little baby alien that gets burst out of someone's chest, doesn't know what's going on. All the humans try and kill it with the cattle pods, and then you try and cover <laughs> it in the net. Then you try and blast it with an airlock, and it just wants it just to, wants to eat. Yeah, it just, just wants... wants to eat. Yeah, it doesn't know where it is. It's you know hiding the entire film. It's hiding. Yeah, them. Um, but we obviously we just see it as the enemy because what it wants to do is kill us. But um, obviously that's not exactly what film is doing, and that's you know twisting the narrative a little bit there. But it was that article we think, well, hang on, like there's a load of stories here that if you flip the perspective of it, where whether it's morally dubious or not, that you can flip it and you can get a very interesting story out of it. Mm. And I and the the spark came 
I, I was between, I'd left Creative Assembly and I was waiting, I was going to be starting at Rockstar and I had a couple of weeks off and I was just kind of thinking like, if I could start more thing, what would it be? What would my own game be? And I kept thinking back at this, you know, 2001 and all the creepy things that AIs tend to do in when they go wrong or when they become self-aware, you know, they mm. airlocks on people and, but, you know, usually you can justify why they've done it, even though it's a choice we wouldn't, like, we'd want to save the person. They might be trying to save a bunch of other people. They're quite happy to make that decision. And so it was just, like, how they react to you and how they make you feel is, is a fact. It's something films don't ever explore because they can't. So that, that aspect of it was, like, a big, big part of it. And, and also the fact that in all these situations where the AI becomes self yeah, we never really question what it feels like for a computer to suddenly have emotions and to suddenly mm. have things, you know, and I remember seeing videos when we started kind of working out what this game was going to be. I saw a lot of videos of like people would upload videos of guys like hearing aids for the first time. Yeah. And they would, and they would hear, or they would get glasses that take away their color blindness and they would see color for the first time. Right. And it's just this overwhelming sense of emotions they have because their brain is literally saying, oh, I don't know what this is. I, I don't know how to process this. Yeah. That's going to be pretty messed up if a computer was to become conscious and suddenly have guilt and yeah. empathy and all these things that it won't know how to deal with that. Um, so there were just so many factors in there that just felt like there's a new story to tell here, even though it's steeped in the stuff we're used to. Yeah, we get to see it from Yeah. Um, sorry, is there any way you can get a little closer to your mic? Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. I think um, the little Discord uh, noise reduction things—it's a gate basically. So oh, right, it's good. just trying to chop words out, which is good. Right. It's good. It's, <laughs> it's so I can now cut you into saying something really offensive and then go, "Oh, it was oh, Discord. Course, yeah. It was Discord that did it. Won't me. Won't me." <laughs> Falling into the trap once again. <laughs> um, you mentioned. Uh, Working on Alien Isolation and then uh, working for Rockstar. Yeah. Um, how how big a decision was that to? I assume you didn't get fired from Rockstar. There's no like no, no, no. <laughs> big controversy. I'm stepping on. <laughs> oh no! Yeah, I was the guy. Who's, yeah. I was the guy who said all the racist stuff at Rockstar. Do yeah, you not yeah, remember? Yeah, no one asked me on podcasts. I'm super racist. Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll, put, we'll put the articles in the description, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, it was, it was a terrifying... Like, I... Yeah, I was. my wife was pregnant with her, her youngest at the time, and we... And, and I got an offer from Rockstar. They kind of... Essentially, kind of headhunted me and said, you want to come back? You know, essentially, like, come back up to Scotland, and, you know, we think you'd be a good fit. And so I interviewed. The team were lovely, and, and I took the job um, mainly... A, because it was a cool, you know, it was to go in Red Dead 2, and that was like, yeah, yeah it's, as, it's as big as a game as it gets, that sounds awesome. Um, and also, because we were, you know, we were pregnant, and we, you know, we didn't have any family down south, and it been a struggle with our, our, our son, um, having no family around when mm-hmm. we lived down there. So, so there's a couple of reasons here we could move back up. So we moved back up, and a couple of weeks, you know, a month later, whatever, I started at Rockstar. And I was there for about nine months, I think. And... It was like the team were lovely and the game is exciting and turned out to be great. Um, but I just, I think during that time off, I'd been thinking a lot about, you know, if I could make a game. Mm-hmm. The last the last thing I'd done at, at, at Creative Assembly was lead the DLC team. So all the kind of additional story missions and challenge missions that came out came from me. That was me and a team of like 
13 Guys or something. Nice. Uh, we, and we all worked on that stuff, and I got a little bit of a taste of what it was like. Sadly, I've not played Alien Isolation because I'm a coward. But that's fine. That's, I, that's pretty common, yeah. That's I accept common my own cowardice there. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, I mean, it was, it, like, it turned out to be a great game, and, and people really liked the DLC as well, and so I thought, maybe I can, like, run a small team. Maybe I can do this. And I think as soon as I got into Rockstar, I'd say they were, uh, they are huge. You know, it's it's hard to put across how massive that team is. I mean, this was up in, in Edinburgh, but you're also working with San Diego and, you know, New York and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, I, I've never quite got to grips with how many different rock stars there are as such, because Rockstar North yeah. is Edinburgh, but yeah. then you've got East Coast and West Coast are two separate entities. Yeah, not entities, yeah. but there's a lot of studios within that. that yeah, uh, and, and they all kind of work on each other's stuff as well. Mm. One, one team does this, one team does that. Like There was a lot of kind of cross-team working, and it's like fascinating. Like I was really kind of amazed by how old but at the same time, I think because I'd went from running a small team to just being one person in this massive machine, mm. I just kind of felt like this is not, I've, I've made the wrong choice, you know, personally, yeah. I've, I've just went the wrong direction. So This might be a choice for stability, but is it a choice yeah, for, yeah, for happiness, sure. you know? Yeah, like I didn't feel like I was going to be happy there purely because I knew I would never get into the position of directing a project because mm. there's a zillion people in front of me in the queue, you know. Mm. That would want to do that at a place like Rockstar, so I just felt like this is this is the wrong path. So, so I came home and told my heavily pregnant wife that we should I might quit my job. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, amazingly, she was, and she understood, you know, where I was coming from. We we waited, you know, we didn't. Thank didn't do that God, that would have been awkward. That would have been awkward yeah. if she said no, no, go, I know, get back yeah. to work. Yeah. Get back to work, make the money. You know, <laughs> um, no, she was fantastic, and, and as always. Ah, uh, maybe she knew she would, was going to get a job as a two D. That's artist. it. Yeah, she In, was banking on it. Yeah, she actually used <laughs> you to get to the role she had always wanted. She's yeah. While I was sleeping, she's going just quit the job. Quit it. Sorry. Quit yeah. it. I'm good at drawing. Quit the job. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. It's all coming. It's all becoming clear now. God. Um, yeah. So we, we waited a few months until. Um, my wife was born, um, and I was still. We're still working out how we could do it. And I started speaking to Omar, who I've been friends with since I was like five years old. Mm. Uh, we worked together at, at college. He's an audio guy. Um, he'd never worked in games before, but he'd done the game jams with me and stuff. Like that. And and I said, look, you know, he was kind of at a bit of a crossroads as well. Yeah. Why don't we, Why don't we do it? You know, why don't we try it? So I went to speak to a guy. The first games job I got was up in. Uh, Dundee at Real Time Worlds, where Dave Jones uh, he owned that studio. He was the guy that invented GTA back in the original GTA, original top yeah, down yeah. GTA. Yep, yeah. top down GTA. So he was he was kind of the head of that back in the day. And he was my first boss working in games back in two thousand eight or two thousand or something. And I kind of vaguely kept in touch with him. I didn't know him well. He was like head of the company, but I'd done some some extra work for him, some trailers and stuff. Mm. Um, and he was kind of. Re- I reached out to him, and he remembered who I was. Thankfully, I said I some <laughs> advice. Who? Yeah, you know. <laughs> hey, it's me. Never heard of you. Damn it. <laughs> um, and so I asked him for some advice, and he said, "Yeah, I'm going to be in. Ed- um, come and meet up." And so we met up for coffee, and I said, "Look, I'm trying to start a studio. I think you know, I'm not sure if it's the right thing to do, and I've got this idea and this kind of, you know, from a business point of view, how we're going to do it." So I showed him all. Uh, this kind of slide deck and showed him the the, the very first slide deck for observation mm. and said hey yeah i can help you um how much money do you need and i was like uh well i don't know i don't know what i'm looking for he said, well just <laughs> let me know and we'll sort it out 
So he just <laughs> like, yeah, it went from me asking for advice to him becoming a partner in the studio. Um, and he, he got started, so he gave us a, a chunk of cash and a contract to help work in one of his games to help keep the money coming in. Nice, yeah, yeah. He gave us the, the start. And it's kind of like what you were saying earlier. It's usually something comes in that makes you bigger, yeah. helps you break, and that was exactly that point, is he just said, yeah, I like I like what you're trying to do. I, I know you've worked hard in the past for me. I, I trust you. Okay, I'll help you financially. So whenever anyone asks me for advice in music industry stuff, it's generally, like, for bands, just don't be a dick. Because you yeah. don't know who you're talking to. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like, in games, it's such a small industry. Everybody knows everybody in some way. Mm. Um, and it, stuff comes back very quickly. And and I think, like you say, you never know who you're going to be working or who's going to be able to help you. But mm. you're talking like who's going to help you ten years later? You know, it's not just like right now, like you know, like say I done, I done, I went above the, the above, a, above you know the Call of Duty on on the first job that I worked on. I really worked hard and tried to prove myself and mm. done a lot of work for Dave. And he remembered ten years later when I or seven years later I think when I came to him and said I need some advice starting the studio and he was like, oh yeah I remember you helped <laughs> me a lot I'll help you back you know. At that time when I was doing that work I never thought it would amount to anything. I didn't think. I was going to start a studio in seven years' time, and he'd be the one to end it, you know. Mm. But that's the point: is like, don't burn your bridges, you know. Don't obviously don't tolerate bullshit as well. But you know, like you say, don't be a dick, and yeah, be nice when you can be nice. And I'll, pretty much everyone I've worked with, like a lot of the people who work at No Code or helped in No Code, are people I've worked in in the past that I can trust because they've done a good job. Like guys who worked on Alien. Yeah. Um, who then you know went freelance whatever they're the people I phone first because I know they're good people mm. and they'll, they'll do the job well and you know that's that's what happens you know. nice that's good um yeah. so what's next for no code well you can't talk I'll, about it this is nah, this is the usual usually, yeah the usual <laughs> I can't talk about it it is massive and I'm terrified um it's, yeah. what, what did I did look on on your website and it did sa- say something about revolutionising interactive <laughs> narrative. So I was excited. Yeah. I was excited yeah. then. I'm not sure if it's going to. Revo- uh, yeah, it's probably not going to revolutionise interactive narrative. But we're trying to do something different. <laughs> so you lied. Well, it's like the no code thing. It's like you know. <laughs> It's um, not a lie. It's, a lie. it's not a lie. It's <laughs> it's aspirational. It's, it's an aspirational, aspirational truth. Um, we are, we, yeah, we are genuinely trying to do something different, but this time we're doing it with something pretty huge that I'm kind of pinching myself that we're actually yeah. doing. You know, so it's it's a big, big change for us. Um, team is kind of doubling in size over the next year. Wow. Um, and yeah, it's it's been a weird year, um, but a really exciting and really terrifying. And I don't mm. think anyone is going to expect it when we announce it, um, which is great. Um, mm. But yeah, it's it's very very exciting. By far the most amount of pressure I've ever had on my shoulders, so it's a little bit scary as well. <laughs> but, um, the good kind of fear, I think. Yeah, yeah. for now, as long as we don't mess it up. <laughs> wow, well, uh, that's yeah, yeah, that's been always, a journey. That's always the problem, isn't it? Like you don't know, you can never know if it's good. Yeah, no matter, I don't know. Gets... I mean, when we launched Observation, like that was May last year, and literally we submitted it. It passed. You know, we got we got some mock reviews done, and they came back going, "Yeah, this is good. Like, it's a good game." Mm. Um, but honestly, the day that launched, I still didn't know what I'd made. Mm-hmm. You know that that kind of like, I can't see it. I can't see it the way anyone else can see it. Yeah, you can. I can. I judge it against what I was trying to do, and did I did I achieve that? That's it. I can't tell whether that's anyone else other than me. Mm. So, um, so it was still a 
massive unknown. So we started getting, you know, IGN gave us a nine and all this kind of stuff. Genuinely shocked of like, and it wasn't that we thought this game's rubbish. I can't believe anyone likes it. It was just, a, you know, literally no idea. I can't mm-hmm. tell you it was a good game. I was blind to it by that. And I think maybe that's a good thing. Maybe it, it's dampens your expectations, but neither, not in any direction, just like, it's the more ambiguous it was, the less I was worried about it being well received or not. I was just kind of like, I guess people just. I, like I definitely think that you, as long as you come away from making your thing and you're happy as yeah. as happy as you can be about it, then you yeah. you have done all you can. It's it's like when you start getting into will this demographic of people like this game? It's like well, yeah, and we've we've never done that. Whether that's a good or a bad thing maybe we'd be a lot richer if we had done that but we've never looked at the target market we've never looked at a demographic we've just had an idea that we've managed to convince people to help us make and and that's it you know we, we go on and try and make the thing it sounds you know it sounds cliche like make the game we want to make but observation is exactly that at no point did sony or um devolver tell us mm, i'm not sure about this change that we're just yeah. like they gave us a full trust and we made something that is really weird and you know weird mm. with a budget and that's you know it's kind of hard to do but the weird thing is if you if you compared observation to what every gaming youtuber claims they hate it should be the worst game of all time because it's <laughs> it's yeah. it's it's not a walking simulator as such but it's it's got similar roots to something like Edith Finch or whatever yeah. it's all that stuff that they're very oh no this oh, boring yet yeah. it's engrossing and entertaining and it's it's that thing that gaming has the ability to tell stories in a million different ways and they don't all have to be driven through massive cutscenes and then a firefight you know yeah. And I, I do think that's the art of gaming. That's the bit of gaming that if a hundred years time someone's looking back, the games they're going to be talking about are actually going to be these, the Stanley yeah. parables of yeah, gaming yeah, rather than, yeah. you know, no one's going back to go, oh, Kevin Spacey was great in Call of Duty. Well, no one's saying <laughs> Kevin Spacey was great, but you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's it. Yeah, I think you're right. It's like, Definitely, like not to take anything away from big AAA games. That oh know, no, they're they're great. Like uh, I people, enjoy them. People, I enjoy them. Billions of people do it. Provides entertainment to a lot of people, uh, but they are a lot less risky a proposition. And especially when you're a small team like us, who you know bet the farm on observation. Mm. It's kind of like this doesn't work. We probably don't have another game. We we have to disband and start something else. Or there was a lot of risk there. Yeah. Um, and. Yeah, like I'm, I'm kind of hoping that that's what, like you say, there's a lot of different. You know, you can tell these stories in a million different ways, but we tend to tell them the same way all the time because it's safer mm-hmm. and it's nice to break that up and do something a little bit different. And what we're trying to do is add some budget in there, add some gloss in there, so it doesn't look like a throwaway experimental indie adventure. It's, mm-hmm. it looks like you know we want it to look like Gravity or Interstellar or something yeah. with either these attract audiences, you know, they, if, if you put Interstellar on Netflix, loads of people will watch it and there's no difference what we're doing. Yeah. We're doing the same kind of thing. It's just, we're making you interact with it in a slightly different way so that you don't have to be into guns. What what helps with play. Interstellar as well is that they didn't have any big racist scenes that they needed to cut out posthumously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't have uh, John Cleese in there. 
uh, yeah, goose true. stepping and stuff. So they've they made the right choice creatively <laughs> there. Yeah. <laughs> I, all that all that at the moment, I totally understand why we uh, why companies react the way they do to that stuff. But I do think that. Um, it's very distracting from what the actual issues in the world are right now. Yeah, but, a little bit. Yeah, but for yeah. sure. But this, it's, we're talking about games. We're not allowed politics. No games have <laughs> politics in them. They've got to be very separate. Yeah. No game. I think we, we got we got a little bit of abuse actually having politics and observation because we had the Scottish flag shown <gasps> than other flags. We're like, oh, is this a Scottish independence call? <laughs> Jesus. Wow! Like, where do we start? It's like, well, we've got two Welsh flags as well because our lead actress was Welsh. And we thought, yeah. yeah, we'll bump that up a little bit. But of course, it became a political statement. <laughs> um, I think it was actually it was that and the fact that we don't actually have the US flag on their patches. We have a merge of the US and the European. Oh, okay. We we kind of thought forward and thought, well, maybe those space agencies will work together and yeah, because it's, it's for that, yeah. set in the that, future, yeah. It's like 10 years in the future or something, yeah. yeah. It's not far, but it's far enough that you can imagine like ESA and NASA yeah. join forces in some way or, or something like that. And we just kind of like wanted to add a little wrinkle to what you already know. Mm. Um, and of course, it became a political statement. Um, the fact that the EU portion of the badge had 12 stars on it <laughs> meant, that, meant that the UK didn't leave. And, and all, it's like, oh my <laughs> The thing is, you have to think about if you're going to set something in this universe yeah. 20 years from now, you have to say, well, did we leave the EU? Did... You know, did Trump change America for good? You know, you've mm. got to consider that. But of course, even just by considering it, it's a political statement. Yeah, yeah. God forbid. <laughs> <laughs> wow, sorry, the rain is coming down quite impressive right now. I'm impressed. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well done, well done, England, and your weather. <laughs> um, I think we've covered covered everything we needed to cover there. Cool. Yeah, it's been good to chat. Was it happy? Anything you need to plug or anything? Not really. Um, I mean, we've got Observation coming out on a... Well, it's come out on a bunch of platforms now. We've just been finishing it up, and we might have something soon. It's a little bit different. A little, mm-hmm. a little thing to do before we get stuck into the next big project. But, um, yeah, we're just kind of moving out of Observation land and into something new. So, yeah, not really plugging in. Yeah, I think that's something that... Hopefully bio games. Some people don't realise that it's... That whatever creative endeavor you do, once you put it in the world, isn't the last thing you do. You have yeah. months of shenanigans afterwards. Oh yeah, I mean we we spent we spent months porting to various platforms. You know we got stories untold on the Switch and stuff like that, mm. but um, an observation on on Steam and um, some other stuff planned for that. Um, but it's like the last seven months for me personally has been pitch meetings phone calls i've done very little actual game development it's more been like mm. hey, here's a 30 page document and here's some slides and financial breakdowns of the next project mm. and stuff <laughs> and it's taken months and months and we've had some like things we wouldn't be able to talk about just now but in the future we'll make some mm. fascinating stories of projects we've pitched for and stuff like that but uh, when you're in the like yeah. the the admin cycle for stuff do you find yourself putting pretty colors in spreadsheets just to make yourself feel uh, creative my my slide decks are gorgeous. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's the only way I can get it out. It's, Pristine. It's like, oh, they're just like you know. I get, I genuinely get emails back going, "Thanks for the slide deck. Really nice presentation." I'm like, "Bet it is." Yes. 
like damn right and that's because if i don't do that i will actually mad so um but yeah it's, it's been it is that kind of thing that once you come out of a project even just like mentally trying to separate yourself from something you've been kind of obsessed with for four years or whatever mm. like moving on from that is quite tricky because like i've been in space land for observation you know, space technology and mm. books and books and books of you know the history of nasa and technology they use and stuff like that and then to suddenly not need to know any of that whatsoever yeah um it's kind of weird like you're having to try and dump all that stuff out of your brain or defrag it somehow to let new stuff come in it's been quite mm. weird to, to move to a new project with a new genre with setting and stuff like that. yeah 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 it's a strange sensation it does take a bit of time just i've never put enough effort into anything to have to do that um. <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure that's not true hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter that's why i teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create pretty litter its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80 percent less than clay litter Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, there you go. That's an hour of your life gone that you're not going to get back. Isn't it? Isn't it? I'm lucky. Oh, think of all the good stuff you could have done with that time, you know. All that great stuff you could have been doing. You could have been having a bit of a sit. Maybe you were having a sit while listening to us, to us natter. But yeah, you could have been having a sit. You could have been doom scrolling Twitter, getting angrier and angrier until uh, your head explodes. You could have been doing that. Uh, I know I was. I know I've been doing that solidly for a month. Um, John's really nice. Andrea says he has a nice voice, which means now they can never meet which is sad for them. You know, I think they'd get on, but, you know, she's paid him a compliment now. That means she can't meet him. That's him and um, Lad from Jurassic Park. You know the one, Jeff. Jeff from Jurassic Park. She can't meet him either because she likes his voice. His whole demeanour, to be fair. So that's two on the list of people Andrea can't meet. Anyway, enough of my insecurities. Definitely go play Observation. It was a very good game. It will be unlike most games you've played, but not so unlike that you feel that it gets in its way, if you know what I mean. 
uh, and stories untold, particularly of someone for of my age, in my forties. I, I remember playing text adventures when I was young. I did my slightly older man voice there, but it's that thing of creating something old now and acknowledging the existence of now. But there's something quite wonderful about how the game pulls you back to that early point in gaming. You you know what a text adventure is. You've seen Big, but pulls you back to that big era of gaming with Tom Hanks. You know Tom Hanks, yeah? Yeah, that guy. Uh, he, he had the corona, didn't he? I don't know what I'm saying. I never know what I'm saying. And to be fair, you don't listen this far. Maybe two or three of you are lis- listen to this very end bit anyway. So yeah, sod ya. Music's where it is. Patreons, go do the Patreon thing. Actually makes a huge difference to my life and I never say enough about it, but it's because I'm really uncomfortable with self-promotion. Um, super secret code word for the week would be, hmm, Beats by Dre are rubbish. Yeah, that's the super secret code word to let me know you got to the end. And yeah, we'll be back in a fortnight with another person talking about their life and their creativity and my really stupidly long intros and outros. Yeah, enjoy. <laughs>